0: We're going to be talking about two things that come together uh, that we're definitely uh, there's we're all kind of going through this weird time now where there's no normal or like there's a new normal. But I don't even know if there's a, a normal yet, you know, and what God is doing, like Marianne was saying, is shaking things that can be shaken. But what will remain is what's real. And for some of us, I think it's probably been quite a faith challenge. You know, we're kind of asking there's people asking questions. Of themselves, what do we? What do I actually believe? Um, What is? What is my faith really based on? You know, some of us are realizing it wasn't based on much, and uh, that's okay. I'm not going to sit here and go, "How dare you!" I think it's actually a good thing to realize what your faith is and what it isn't, and then act according or fix that (laughs) or make changes. You know, and I think that God is using this to show us. where we, where we really are, and, and also what he's done is there's an openness to, to God and people that we're around that God wants us to be um, witnessing to, and so when I was praying, thinking about what we're going through, faith and hard times, God gave me two words that is kind of an assignment, I believe, for us from the church, and that's to encounter and witness, and what that means is encounter Jesus and then witness to other people about that encounter, And so I'm going to go through a little bit um, about what faith, what our faith looks like, what faith is, and then get into an example of an encounter and a witness that I want to kind of use to elaborate. So I'm going to paraphrase most of this stuff. So you have plenty of time. You can go back and read these things. Um, You can miss one office episode and, uh, um, and take a read. So if you look in your Bible in Hebrews 11, this whole chapter is describing faith and what faith looks like. And there's a lot of us that accidentally, or maybe have been taught, and maybe taught wrongly, that, uh, that the, uh, the Christian life is a life free of struggle, or the Christian life is a life free of suffering, or the Christian life is a life free of pain, and that's just not true. Jesus actually promises the opposite, um, and also... In fact, he, 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 kind of, he says that because you follow him, you, you will experience an increase of suffering and these sorts of things, but be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. So we're stuck in this kind of place where we know um, the truth and the kingdom of God that is breaking into our time, but we haven't fully realized it. When we talk about uh, our, like the name of our church, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, this is what we're praying even by saying the name of our church, we're talking about at the end, the end of time, the end of the age where Jesus returns and he makes all things right forever. He came before, as the Lord has come, which is another way you could pronounce the name of our church, to to inaugurate, as they would like to say, this kingdom in this earth. So his kingdom is breaking in, but it's not fully here yet. And we find ourselves as citizens in this, what they say usually, now and not yet kingdom. That God's kingdom is among us, but it's not fully realized. So the world still has sin, the world still has pain, the world still has suffering. One day all of this will end in Jesus' name and by his kingdom, fully arriving. But now we find ourselves kind of stuck in an in-between. And when Paul is writing about this, did Paul write Hebrews? No. No. We don't know. Uh, we don't know. I just realized I said Paul, and I didn't realize I didn't know if he wrote it. So some people think he did. <laughs> some people don't. It <laughs> doesn't really matter. But uh, um, in Hebrews chapter 11, he writes down about what faith is like. And you, there's a famous verse. If you've been a Christian and all, you've probably heard this. is, faith is a c- confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then he goes through a list of all of these Old Testament um, heroes and com- commends them for their faith but when we say the word hope we have to make sure that we know what we're talking about because um, when we generally use the word hope we just mean kind of an, an expectation of something good that we want to happen like I hope I get cake today or something like that or I hope I get pie or ice cream I guess whatever you just hope for something nice or I hope somebody gives me a million dollars you know, And that's not a bad definition of the word hope. That is what the word means, but that's not what this is specifically meaning in context. When they're saying the hope, what they're meaning is the future day of the Lord. There's a Jewish apocalyptic understanding that there's that what I was just talking about, that one day Jesus is going to make everything right, and we can have confidence in that hope. And that the do not see is not just, to a Greek mind would have been the, heaven, the heavens or God's space or something like that, but it also meant... This same thing of we, we don't see yet this kingdom, but it's there. And the assurance, the Greek word there, literally means the same in other like, writings, deed and title. Like we have the title to a car means I own it. You have the title to the kingdom of God now. And that's how we live in, in spite of what's around us. And so you look at um, this list, and you can read through it. And he goes through Moses or Abraham, Moses, no, like all these people of you know how great their faith was but then he interjects a couple times in verses 13 and 39 this interesting phrase all these people were still living by faith when they died they did not receive the things promised they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth these were all commended and then in 39 these were all commended for their faith yet none of them received what had been promised so the big point, I think, is this is, is that, like, they, like us, we find ourselves caught in between. We're not quite there. And so, if you've been lied to or misunderstood or have thought that following Jesus equals no suffering, this should be give, giving. Well, well, that's just not true. But the good news is we're all in this together. And these guys have been an example for us of the faith and how we live in the tension between the two. Like the song, we just, the song we just sang from Psalm 23, it's true, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But you're also going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. like Psalm So you, you, we are, like it says here, I like this the best, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. We are citizens of heaven and as heaven has come to earth, that's our citizenship. Anyway, Um, but we are going to face suffering with confidence in the hope to come. And face, um, there's some pretty bad stuff you can read, especially near the end where he starts to just run through a whole list of bad things that have happened to people for the sake of God, not just because they're alive. I mean, bad things happen to us just because we're alive, but also because we're following after Jesus. But it doesn't matter where they're coming from. The confidence in the hope that we have can carry us through that. And so it's, it's, it's getting to these two words now, encountering and witness. I believe that when we can kind of weigh all of that or put all of that on the, you know, the table to think about, God, show me what it means to be a Christian person in, as a citizen of your kingdom now, as a stranger here on earth. How do I live my life that way? And that's where I think this comes in. I was praying this week, and I felt like God said we had a job to encounter him and witness because what you can get caught up really quick if, especially if your mind is like mine or your personality or into a moralism or moral version of christianity where it's like i should just do all these things because they're right or i should just do this or i should just do that or you know there gets to be a to-do list of right and wrong things and that's not exactly Bad categorically, but it, if that's the only way you understand God, or the only thing, or the dominating force, then I think you've kind of missed the whole boat. And actually, you you might be in the place of where God could say, "Depart from me, I never knew you," just because you've been doing all these good things, but you haven't been doing them for the right reason. And what I'm saying is, most of what what God is the main actor in His kingdom, in our hearts, and in our church, and in everything that we do. We are the reactor, or mostly the receiver. But then we re- and in that song, we just sang, "This is love." is coming from 1 John 4.10, where it says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So our love for God isn't a to-do list. It isn't a, I should love God, so I'm just going to. It is a reaction to the encounter with God's love for us. Okay, so you're not making it up, you're not just trying harder you encounter God. And if you read further in 1 John 4, read around there, it's talking about, well, God is love, and knowing God is to be a loving person and all these sorts of things. It's not something you just make out of nothing. It's something that, that you, when you come in contact with who God really is, you can't help but love Him. He's also powerful. He's also terrifying. He's also all of these other things. But his, this, this verse literally says God is love. And so what I believe is that I want to talk now about what I think kind of our assignment is from God right now. Because you're going to find yourself in a spot where your faith is being tested in different ways than it has been. It doesn't mean the most ever. You might have been through something way worse than this, but this is different, you know. Or maybe you've just never been tested before, but also you're going to just find your life being different. All the routine is gone. There's a new routine. Your kids are really loud or whatever it is. You know, there's just a lot of different that you're having to deal with. And you're having to serve in roles in your life and in your friends and family maybe that are different than you've been before. And so, so how do God, how do we be citizens of heaven and this earth in this current situation that we're in now? And God is saying, encounter his love and be a witness to that. And so I want to share a really quick, I don't want to take all day, this story from John 9, Gospel of John chapter 9, where Jesus heals a blind man. And this guy encounters Jesus and then bears witness to this encounter to people. And he doesn't know everything. That's the point I'm trying to say. You may feel very ill-equipped to, for example, pastor your children or pastor your family. But guys, wake up. You need to be doing this. And this is okay. And kids, you may go, I don't totally understand who God is, but I want to know more. That's plenty. That's all you need. That's all God needs to change the world. And and that's all God needs to work miracles in your life. And I'm going to use this as an example. I'm just going to paraphrase it just because... um, just for the sake of time, go back and read it sometime later. John nine chapter of John nine. Jesus is coming, and he encounters a guy who's been blind from birth. And in um, that kind of time frame, people are like, "Well, he's probably blind because of something bad he did, or something bad his parents did." So, in order to clear that up, they ask Jesus. Jesus, is this guy blind because he did something bad, or is he bad blind because like one of his parents or ancestors did something bad? And Jesus says, "No, he's blind, and I'm going to heal him. And this is done so that I can show the kingdom of God breaking in." And then he does an odd thing of spitting on the ground, making mud, putting it on the guy's eyes, which would have been considered gross then, like it's considered gross now, but even probably more so. But this guy can't see. He doesn't even know. He just knows something's happening. And Jesus says, go wash in this pool, and and you'll be able to see again. And he does. And then he comes back seeing. And people kind of freak out a little bit. They're like, isn't that the blind guy who would always beg for money? No, he wasn't. Yes, it was. And they all start, you know, and then... The religious leaders come in they're like hey what happened here and through this whole series of questioning um first they ask him you know well here's what i want to say when, when 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 you encounter jesus he changes you and when you encounter jesus you aren't the same and you don't know what you don't know like a blind person jesus uses this whole story to at the end i'm jumping around a little bit but at the end he uses this physical blindness to illustrate spiritual blindness of these religious leaders because at the end they don't buy it they go this isn't this isn't him this is bad what's happening here is bad and you're bad and this whole thing is bad and they don't get it and then jesus is like well you guys are blind and you're like you're calling us blind you know and so this is an illustration blindness can be more than just your eyes it can be seeing god's kingdom breaking and you can be blind to that but you don't know what you don't know like jesus said it's not his fault this guy's blind he's just blind but jesus is offering sight if you will take it and so what happens is he, he, he heals this guy, and then it starts this series of questions. I wrote down all of the questions that, um, that uh, people ask this guy, and then kind of how they, or all the questions that get asked about this event. So there's an encounter with Jesus, and then there's the witness of this encounter. There's people that saw it happened, and then the guy himself, his witness to the people, and all that kind of thing. So um, think about this, because the encounter is mostly passive. You're encountering God or he's encountering you and then the active part of witnessing what you encountered and keep in mind this this is god god is infinite there's plenty to encounter and there's plenty to witness about so many so many times we're stopped because you think i can't give witness to all of it like someone says yeah but what does post-tribulational rapture mean And you go i don't know so i probably shouldn't talk about god at all follow this guy's example as I read through this. So the first thing, um, he, I'm going to go to the second page here. For the first thing, he comes back seeing, and people, just people, ask, they're like, isn't that the blind guy? And then they go, how can you see? And he just says something along the lines of, this guy named Jesus put mud on my eyes and told me to wash, and I did, so now I can see. That, I mean, I don't know about you, but that probably wouldn't be totally convincing to me. He's like, what? Like, That's probably outside of, you know, what I'd be used to. And then this is an interesting question. They go, well, where is he? And he says, I don't know. Because he didn't know. He's only bearing witness to what he knew. And then um, they take him before the religious leaders or the religious leaders show up. And they say, hey, how can you see? Again, he says, this guy named Jesus put mud on my eyes. And then he told me to go wash. And I did. So now I can see. And then they ask him a question about jesus because they don't like jesus right now because he's upsetting things and they say how can a man who is a sinner do such signs and they're asking each other some of them are convinced some of them are not it says there was division among them and so they ask this guy okay well what do you think then you're the guy who got healed what do you think of jesus And he's like i don't know i guess he's a prophet meaning like a holy man or something he's on he's doing god's stuff because i i don't know i can see now you know and so they go okay are we sure this is the blind guy, the guy that was outside all these years, the guy who's been blind from birth? Let's get his parents in here. So they get his parents in here and they say, Is this your son? Another question. And was he blind from birth? And how can he see? So now they're asking the parents, How, can, how, how is he different? You know, how did this encounter with Jesus make him different? And, is, and wasn't he this way before, the way we knew he was? And so he says, They go, they're scared of these people because they have power to do bad things. And so they go, Look, he's definitely our son, he was definitely born blind, we have no idea how he can see and he's of age, you ask him. Let him, let him answer that question. And so um, they ask him one more time, how did he heal you exactly? And he goes, I told you. And then he, he asks them a question. He's like, oh, are you interested in this because you want to be his follower too? And they go, no. And they go, you're his follower? They ask another question. And he's like, and they say, of course we don't want to follow him, and da-da-da-da, and all this kind of thing. And then he asks or makes a statement. He goes, why, this is an amazing thing. You guys are supposed to be the religious leaders, and you don't really know who this guy is. And, and then they get mad, and they ask him or make another statement question that says, you were born in sin, and you're going to have the audacity to teach us? And they throw him out. Because he says, look, guys, I don't know anything about all this. All I know is I was blind, and now I can see. That's the extent of his witness. He put mud on my eyes, told me to wash it. I washed it. I don't know anything about it. I I don't know. I'm blind, but now I can see. But Jesus hears they threw him out. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He comes up to him. But he doesn't recognize Jesus because he's never seen him before. You don't know what you don't know. But now he sees Jesus, and he's like, yeah, I would like to. Can you tell me who is he so I can believe in him? And then Jesus says, you have seen him, and he's speaking to you. So this encounter was unexpected. When you're looking for encounters with God, especially in times like these, they can be very unexpected. There's other times where Jesus healed blind people where they're screaming out after him. They know what's up. And they go, hey, get over it. Like, I need help, you know. Other times they just ask politely, whatever. This one was unexpected. It just says Jesus ran into this guy. It required a response. Jesus did something, and he said, go do this. And he did it. And it changed his life and the lives of people around. And was able to, we're talking about it now, 2,000 years later. This encounter was transformational. When you really encounter God, he changes you. And he'll challenge the bad things. But he'll embrace and encourage all of the good. And the, and the love you feel from God is, is different than anything else. And then this witness, you, you, once you're changed, people notice. Like these people noticed. And they'll ask you Questions but you don't have to have all the answers. You just bear witness to what God did in your life or what God's doing in your life, and that's it. Let him handle the rest. Jesus shows up at the end of the story and takes care of the rest of the business. He's the one who rebukes those guys. This kid's just like, I don't really know what you're talking about. I think you should know more. The only thing he says that might be a rebuke is, I think you should know more about this than you do. But um, Jesus is really the one who rebukes them and calls them spiritually blind. But... His witness was costly he was being cast away by his parents cast away by these you know sometimes the witness that we give people don't want to hear it so it's not like everybody's going to be happy all the time okay but it was also his witness was salvific when he was witnessing about what jesus did and he was thrown out of the religious community jesus himself comes and says you've seen me and and i'm saving you so so what am i really talking about if you follow in hebrews 11 like i said about faith and hard times it's laying out what faith can do in a life now as we're you know, journeying through. But then you move into 12, Hebrews 12, and it starts saying, look, I just listed off this cloud of witnesses, and there's many more. Run this race with perseverance. This is not a – with your eyes fixed on Jesus. And then it goes into this type of mindset. You're going to be tested, but fix your eyes on me, and I'm guiding you through. And all of us can do this doesn't matter if you think you're step one or if you think you're too young. You may be four, you may be five years old, and you can encounter God and witness what you know. Just witness what you know. And that's all, you, that's all God's requiring of you. But you need to be looking. This encounter. This was a blind man. He doesn't, doesn't know what he doesn't know. He can't see what's going on around him, and he encounters Jesus somehow. unexpected. Maybe he doesn't, he doesn't even know Jesus is there. Maybe he's never heard of him. I don't know. They don't tell you all of that. But he can't see him approaching. But he runs into him. But he had the awareness to pick up on what's going on. So we need to be looking in this time in unexpected places to encounter God because I believe he's breaking in. And I like how C.S. Lewis talks about this because, like I said, the kingdom is now, meaning among us, meaning that... As a church, we represent the kingdom of God here on earth, looking forward to the fullness of God's kingdom coming when Jesus returns and the end of all evil and the restoration of all things. But stuck in between, there's, this, there's, there's a, the hope that we can have. I like how C.S. Lewis summed this up in the Chronicles of Narnia, because in the first book, there's a witch who runs everything, and she's got a spell over the land of Narnia, and it makes it always winter, so it's this cold, you know, and then all of a sudden, it's starting to not be winter, things are melting, and they actually encounter Santa Claus, it's a little weird, but Santa, or Father Christmas, as they call him, um, but he hadn't been there, that was part of it, it's like, it's always winter, never Christmas, you know, it's a children's book, don't get too weird about it, but point is, he says this amazing line, because they're like, how can you finally come here? Because he... he Santa Claus shows up out of nowhere, and he's handing out gifts to people. And he says this, Aslan, who's the, the lion, the type for Jesus, you know, in the story, the Savior is on the move, and the witch's power is weakening. And I think that kind of sums up the hope that I believe we should have that's described in Hebrews 11. We have, a, we have certainty that Aslan, Jesus, will be coming, and he's on the move, and the witch's power or Satan's power is weakening And God will destroy him. But I'm going to read it to you again. Aslan is on the move, and the witch's power is weakening. And I want that to be kind of the hope uh, that we have in our heart. Because this is not the end. This is just the beginning. Like as Marianne said, leading up to the end of time with the the day of the Lord, things will get worse, sir, (laughs) than they are. And we're going to live through it, but we're going to live through it with goodness and mercy following us all the days of our life. It's both. And you can do this, and you will do it. I'm going to pray, and then Pastor Jess is going to come and lead us in communion, which in a very real way is a representation of an encounter with God here and now, which you can do with your family anytime. So I'm going to pray and then invite him up here. So, Father, I pray that you would bless our hearts to understand your word, understand what you've given us, and also that we would live um, with that hope that you are on the move and the enemy's power is weakening in Jesus' name, Amen. And He's going to wipe this off as well,
1: Amen. So, what we what we desperately need uh, is we need a meal. That would nourish us with hope. And what if there were a meal that could do that? Could could usher hope into our into our bodies, into our souls? That was both encounter and witness, and encompassed all time. I mean, what if? And I want to read to you from Paul's uh, his exhortation to the Corinthians about the supper and. Uh, And see if this doesn't fit the model. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then here it is, verse 26. Look for the encounter and the witness in time. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, there's the encounter. As often as you encounter my presence in the bread and the cup, you proclaim, there's the witness, you witness the Lord's death, the past, until he comes, his return. This is a Maranatha meal, folks, that brings together both encounter and witness, past, present, and future. And it's there's no meal that we'll eat this day or any day that will nourish us in a greater way than the hope that this ushers in. Let's pray, and then let's receive this together. Jesus, we acknowledge that we come before you with a deep need to be nourished. We need something that would feed us so that fear doesn't rule us, so that anxiety doesn't have its way with us, so that worry doesn't separate us from you. We need nourishment that would usher in hope that's biblical hope, blessed hope, a hope that expresses confidence and a certainty in your soon return and not a hope that expresses uncertainty. We ask you, Lord, that you would receive us in the midst of our fallenness even in our, in, in our distance from you we know that we've not loved you with our whole hearts yet for those of us who know you who've bent our knees to you and follow you as Lord we know we don't present ourselves with the identity of sinner we've come before you and, and given you our lives and we now receive this meal as children and we ask us Lord even in the taking of this meal that you would separate us from our sin as far as the east is from the west in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to invite you to, uh, to come uh, or to, to gather your elements at your home, whatever it might be. Uh, we have some simple crackers here. We're trying to be as, as clean, as hy- hygienic as we can. And we have juice that we have in cups. And so we're going to institute these elements and then just the small crew that's here is going to receive communion. And I would invite you to follow along. And I want to remind you that we believe it's our theology we believe that you have as a believer all the authority that is necessary to celebrate this meal in your home we have an extremely high view of what happens through this sacrament but we have a very low view of who can oversee it if only those who've been ordained and had hands laid on them could institute this what would you do on a desert island you know be creative we, we believe that you can use a bread and wine but you might have to go with crackers and, and Dixie cups if the best you have in your home right now is a granola bar and Gatorade then you go for it with that and Jesus will enter in mysteriously his body and blood sufficient for you so Jesus we acknowledge on the night that you were betrayed that you took bread and you gave thanks for it and you broke it you said take and eat this is my body given for you Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the same way, when the supper was over, he took the cup and gave thanks for it. And he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's given to you for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And so, Father, We desire to encounter your mysterious, real presence in the bread and the cup. And we desire to proclaim our solidarity and our loyalty and our fidelity to this covenant. That You've died for us and that you're coming again. That that fills us, that fuels us, that motivates us to serve you and to love you say, Lord, just fill us with hope through this meal. In Jesus' name. We're going to come and receive these elements now on our own. Do the same where you are, and Pastor Brian's going to play as we do that, and then we'll close out our, our time together.